Hi everyone, this is Dan, and welcome to the Rapid Boards Review Podcast. In this podcast, it is our goal to review high-yield boards concepts with you in a format that is easy to listen to on the go. We are not a textbook and we are not a question bank, but we are an audio boards review resource that'll go over high-yield associations in a question-and-answer format. This is episode number three of our podcast and episode three of our step one review random association series. In this episode, we'll be going through questions 16 through 20. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, I hope you find this content useful. Okay, number 16. Patient presents with rupture of the middle meningeal artery. What pathology am I referring to here? So this is an epidural hematoma, and the middle meningeal artery is a branch of what artery? So it's a branch of the maxillary artery, which it more proximally comes from the external carotid artery. And this is often secondary to a skull fracture. So typically the patient will present with some uh, high-impact head trauma, like a car crash or hitting their head on something metal. It leads to a skull fracture, um, and then this rupture of the middle meningeal artery leads to a fluid collection called the epidural hematoma. Now... On clinical presentation, um, it's associated with a loss of consciousness, and then a recovery, and then what? And then a rapid deterioration, and this kind of uh, loss of consciousness to recovery, then to back to deterioration, that's called a lucid interval. Now, um, on imaging, this looks like a biconvex collection of fluid, and does it cross the suture line, yes or no? So no, it does not cross the suture line. And this is in direct comparison to a subdural hematoma, which does cross the suture lines. And what does a subdural hematoma look like on imaging? So an epidural hematoma was a biconvex uh, collection of fluid. What was a subdural hematoma? It's a crescent-shaped collection of fluid. Okay, number 17. Uh, The drug DES. What type of cancer does that lead to? D-E-S. So this leads to clear cell adenocarcinoma. Now, D-E-S stands for diethylstilbestrol. Diethylstilbestrol. And um, if you're exposed to this D-E-S drug in utero, it could lead to clear cell adenocarcinoma. It's a drug that's really not given anymore. And it could also lead to other congenital malaria and duct anomalies. And for step one, I would certainly know um, what structures come from the malaria and duct. And then um, also the male version of that as well, the Wolfian duck. Number 18, what is Virchow's triad? What are the three components of Virchow's triad? So this is hypercoagulability, endothelial damage, and blood stasis. And any of these three aspects of the triad, what do they lead to? So this is basically describing three levers that could be pulled to increase the risk of thrombosis. Now, what is the most common cause of inherited hypocoagulability, or hypercoagulability rather, in Caucasians? The most common cause of inherited hypercoagulability in Caucasians. This is factor V Leiden syndrome, factor V Leiden. And what exactly happens in this pathology? So in this pathology, factor V is resistant to degradation by, do you know what it is? So factor V is resistant to degradation by protein C. And if you can't degrade factor V, factor V, of course, is a factor in the coagulation cascade. It stays active. It leads to more coagulation, which leads to more thrombosis. 
So again, Virchow's triad, hypercoagulability, endothelial damage, and blood stasis. Okay, number 19. Um, you get a pathology slide, you're able to identify the substantia nigra, and you see that there is depigmentation in the substantia nigra neurons. What disease is this? So this is Parkinson's disease. Now, the substantia nigra actually has two parts. What part of the substantia nigra is actually affected in Parkinson's disease? And I've seen this come up on one question in the past. So it's actually the substantia nigra pars compacta. Now, the substantia nigra, um, particularly in Parkinson's disease, what type of cells are affected? What type of neurotransmitter do these cells release? So these cells release dopamine. Now the question is, and of course this can come up on a test, how is this um, degradation of cells re related to depigmentation? It's because of this pathway. So um, these cells make dopamine, right? But let's think of how dopamine is made. You start off with phenylalanine. That gets converted to tyrosine. That gets converted to dopa. And then that gets converted to dopamine. Now dopamine, or dopa rather, can also be converted to melanin. And as we know, melanin is a pigment. So if you lose the precursor dopa, um, you're also losing the ability to convert it to melanin, which is a pigmentation. So this is why the cells are depigmented. Now, uh, there's a really great acronym to remember the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. I'm not going to try and form this into a question, but just so you know, it's called TRAPS, and it has two S's at the end. So the T stands for tremor, and this is commonly known as a, do you know what type of tremor it's commonly known as? So it's known as a resting tremor or a pill rolling tremor at rest. The R stands for rigidity, and there's a certain type of rigidity. Do you know what it's called? So it's called cogwheel rigidity. The A stands for akinesia or bradykinesia, and kinesia means movement. A means without, so akinesia means like basically no movement, or bradykinesia means slower movements. The P stands for postural instability. The S stands for shuffling gait, and the other S stands for small handwriting. And, you know, in a medical word, this is known as micrographia. So again, this is traps with two S's. Okay. Now, looking at this thing about depigmentation, remember we said that in Parkinson's disease, there was depigmentation of the neurons in the substantia nigra. Let's look at albinism. So there's two types of albinism. Um, one is a deficiency of an enzyme, and the other one is a deficiency of a transporter. Do you know what the enzyme and transporter are? So the enzyme is tyrosinase, and the transporter is a tyrosine transporter. So remember in our pathway, we went from phenylalanine, the tyrosine, to dopamine. And then eventually down the line, we got to melanin. So tyrosinase basically converts tyrosine, allowing you to go down that pathway. And the tyrosine transporter allows tyrosine to be imported into the cell to further allow you to go down that pathway. Okay, so we said that the pathway was phenylalanine, tyrosine, dopa, dopamine. And then what is the next step after that in order to get another neurotransmitter? So the enzyme is dopamine hydroxylase, and do you know what it forms? So it actually forms norepinephrine, uh, norepinephrine rather. Now, what is the cofactor of that enzyme, dopamine hydroxylase? So the cofactor is vitamin C, also known as ascorbic acid. Now let's just go through a couple of the other uh, important step one functions for vitamin C. What is its role in collagen synthesis? So in collagen synthesis, vitamin C is necessary for hydroxylation of proline and lysine. What is, it, what is its role in the gut? 
So vitamin C facilitates iron absorption by reducing it to an Fe2 plus state. And, you know, vitamin C can also be a uh, secondary treatment or a, kind of like a supplementary treatment for a specific disease or pathologic state. Do you know what that is? So that's methemoglobinemia. And it does this by reducing Fe3 plus to Fe2 plus. And this is actually easy to remember because if you remember that vitamin C has to do with iron absorption by reducing it to the Fe2 plus state, this is exactly the way that you treat methemoglobinemia. Okay, last but not least, number 20. The patient has a facial spasm upon tapping. What is this? So this is called the Chovic sign, C-H-V-O-S-T-E-K sign. And what is this due to? So this is due to an electrolyte abnormality. Do you know what electrolyte abnormality it is? Hypocalcemia, so low calcium. And when you're tapping, what exactly are you tapping? So you're tapping the facial nerve. The hypocalcemia leads to an electrolyte abnormality that actually affects the nerve function. So you tap on the facial nerve and it leads to a facial spasm of the muscles. So there's another sign um, that you see in hypocalcemia. Do you know what it's called? And do you know what it can present clinically as? So it's called the trousseau sign. And essentially you put a blood pressure cuff on a patient, you inflate the cuff and it can lead to a hand spasm. And this is due to brachial artery occlusion when you inflate that blood pressure cuff. Okay, so because we're on the topic of hypocalcemia, what dangerous EKG rhythm can this lead to, hypocalcemia? That's right, torsades. Now, torsades can also be due to two other electrolytes being low. Do you know what those electrolytes are? So classically, those are low potassium and low magnesium. All right, and remember, just remember hypocalcemia has two signs, the Chovic sign and the Trousseau sign, and it can lead to torsades. All right, thank you so much for listening. Those are all the questions we have for this episode. I hope you found this content useful.